Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Furiously windexing my dry erase board and getting ready for Tuesday night. It's election shock therapy. I'm Chris Moore, and joining me in this prognoscative episode are Andy Bramson and Matt Kukum. Guys, do you feel it? I would say there's feel a chill something. in the air, but there's no chill in the air. It's a really. balmy 65 here in Minnesota on November 3rd. God is gracious. Yeah. Um, how are you spending your uh, above averagely warm days? Trying to sort through all the flyers in my mailbox from various candidates desperate for my support. So many, so many. (laughs) This is, gosh, this is not the purpose of this podcast, but is there anybody who receives a postcard from their local state rep and thinks that did it? Not the previous five, but that sixth one put me over the edge and now I'm going to vote for you. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know how many trees how many forests have been utterly demolished um but it's 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 truly astonishing there's like more of this cycle than the previous election yeah. cycle is that just me it'd be kind of fun you know like the maybe some year what we should do for our voting is just like count how many you get from each one and vote for whoever gives you the much like this person or the pays least. attention to me or the least <laughs> yeah you can decide or, or tell them it's gonna be a roll the dice like i haven't decided if it's gonna be the most or least so you do what you're gonna do and i'm gonna roll the dice if it's you know yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like those quizzes in your class more. Yeah, here's <laughs> here's here's my favorite uh, false equivalency. If you could take all the dollars spent on the 2022 midterm election campaigns and repurpose them, you could found an R1 university every time <laughs> we had an election. It's the, the the number of amount of spending is roughly equivalent to a Big Ten or a Big Twelve or a Pac-10 wow. school's endowment. Now you're just yeah. making me sad. <laughs> yeah, we could have a whole new institution of higher learning in the United uh-huh. States every election if we just stopped spending it on campaigns. Wow. Well, ain't never going to happen. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for joining us, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a wrap. <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're not here to gripe about campaign spending, although it is significant. Thank you, Supreme uh, Court. Sorry. Anyway. Oh, there is that. <laughs> yeah. No, we're here to talk about some of the hottest races, the hottest tickets in uh the american midterm elections um guys over the course of the last couple of weeks a wave of rising support for uh democrats which emerged from june through august has really elapsed and republicans have sort of gained momentum over the course of september and october and now appear to have a significantly better shot than they had in the summer of retaking both chambers of the house and the Senate. And I want to just a minute before we get into specific predictions, talk about why that's the case. So gents, uh, what's your best explanation as a political scientist for why we've seen polling data seem to move back towards favoring Republicans to seize both houses of Congress? Yeah. So well, I mean, like, go, go ahead. ahead no, please go ahead, Andy. Well, I'll just leave off, lead off with this. I mean, I, I would say 
in general, elections tend to come back to the fundamentals, right? And so there's these things that can sway, you know, public opinion for a little bit, um, but they tend to come back to, you know, where, where, what is pers- people's party ID? Uh, which way do they lean? And then, and then for those people in the middle who can go either way and who tend to determine elections, um, it comes back to this question of, you know, how do I feel about how things are going, right? Um, and typically what's dominant there is going to be economic considerations, right? I mean, sometimes something else can be, can rise to the forefront, um, but that's typically what it's going to come down to, right? So when you think about what happened this year, right? I mean, obviously um, there was concern about like kind of the country going too far to the right with the um, ending of Roe versus Wade. Um, and that gave a bump to the Democrats, but it was, you know, already in the summer, it was something a lot of us suspected, like that's probably not a bump that's going to last that long. Um, and indeed it hasn't, right? It's faded. And people have said, we're not doing great economically. Interest rates are rising. Inflation is continuing to be a problem. Um, you know, Joe Biden, when you look at his approval ratings is 10 to 11 points underwater in those. And so we're getting back to a t- classic midterm, which is It's a referendum on the president's party in power, and usually people are at least somewhat unhappy. This year, they're more than, I would say, somewhat unhappy about how things are going, and that favors the party that is not currently in power. Hence, the Republicans are doing a lot better. Right. And you can get these deviations, right? You can get um, sort of developments in the news that can temporarily... um, give some hope to um, the party that's expected to lose seats, give some hope that right. they might be able to sort of mm-hmm. eke out um, some, some victories and maintain their hold on power. And, um, you know, this happened um, for Republicans, you know, a couple of years ago, or I guess the previous midterm cycle, they thought, ah, we might be able to win, but they got hammered right by the Democrats, the previous midterm. So, um, so this is the sort of typical thing that you would see. And again, like Andy said um, with inflation, being at historic highs, um, real wages are actually down a whopping 3.4% since last September. Um, it's it's bad economic news all around for a lot of people. Um, and so it's no surprise that the party in power um, is, you know, rightly or wrongly, right, um, going to sort of be held accountable for how things are going in yep. the minds of most people. Yeah. I, I, there's one more fundamental that goes, I think, even deeper than that. Mm-hmm. There's not much scientific uh um explanation to it it's more observation but that is that in the modern era and i would stipulate for sure post 9-11 but really post cold war um, the american uh populace seems to just prefer divided government uh and there just is this natural advantage uh in the midterms for the party out of power to to gain seats regardless mm-hmm. of what else is happening in the country and mm-hmm. so what we mm-hmm. saw I'm going to combine that with uh, we talked. You mentioned briefly uh, the ruling this summer, which overturned Roe v. Wade. That was highly mobilizing for Democratic voters, particularly young Democratic voters. But here's the thing: those same young Democratic voters don't show a high propensity of being willing to show up this fall and vote. They they don't seem like they're more likely to show up than usual. That could be wrong. They might actually show up more than we think, but they're they're not indicating that in our standard polling techniques right now. So, Matt, you're looking. I mean, really there's some mixed evidence. I mean, we'll, we'll see. It's hard to know for sure, and suss out like why people come out and vote for the reasons that they do. That's really hard. And issue polling is is only, uh, excuse me, um, exit polls are only marginally useful for that. Um, I mean. As far as abortion goes, I mean, there is some indication that some Democrats um, are fired up for this reason. However, um, those are people who are actually quite likely to come out and vote anyway. 
right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and, point. you know, and you might see a slight boost. Um, it, it has given some energy to Democrats, but a lot of these Democrats are contained in districts and states that were already very Democratic. Republicans are even more fired up. They're fired up for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Abortion potentially as well. There's hope that if they ultimately retake the Senate and then regain the White House in two years, they're set up to try to um, set, you know, place federal restrictions on abortion. But of course, Republicans are especially fired up because they smell blood in the water um, for Democrats and, and they want to see sort of a change, right? So enthusiasm is high on both sides right now, but it's even higher amongst Republicans, as you would expect, given the fundamentals, right? So yeah, I, remember, I agree with that. Yeah, I think- remember we said back in the spring, like when we were talking about midterms, we said mm-hmm. this is probably going to be a fundamentals election. And then back when we had a discussion about Roe v. Wade, um, we said abortion might make a bit of a difference, but People are talking about it a lot. People are going to say it's going to make a big difference, but it probably won't make a big difference. And it looks like we're actually sort of reverting back to that. Three to four months is a long time in public opinion, electoral politics. Republicans moderated their position somewhat since Roe v. Wade's uh, overturning, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And suburban women are currently swinging back towards Republicans right now, not because of abortion politics, but because of economics. And abortion politics is super ideological. It affects a relatively small number of people, but the fundamentals, it affects everyone. Those affect everyone. And the thing that swing voters are most concerned about right now are these sort of independents or weak partisans. They're most concerned about the fundamentals. If you actually look at issue polling, um, it turns out abortion doesn't even crack top five most important issues for most Americans. Right. Right. Well, I mean, part of that is like it affects who it affects, right? Um, how many people it affects, and then even like how much of an effect does it have on those people, right? I mean, like you know, it's not the case that abortion was outlawed in the land, right? It, it is the case that some states have put that in, but you still have options. I mean, there's still like you know, obviously you could go to another state. It's not like it's hard to cross borders, but it's also there's also the kind of you know you can order pills through the mail, right? And there's there's ways to get around this. So people initially react like, wow, this is a huge shift, and then you start looking at the reality and saying it is a shift, but maybe not as huge as I thought. How important is this in my voting calculus? Maybe not that important. And I think we've seen that kind of going on over the last few months where people say like, it's not nothing, but it's not cracking my top list. And therefore it's not really what's driving my vote. So Andy, there's been a a noticeable shift in democratic campaigning strategies over the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the early part of the fall, Democrats were hammering on this abortion issue and over the last couple of weeks, whereas Republicans dominant themes were things like the economy, uh, inflation, crime uh, were were big features of of, of national races. And now Democrats have pivoted towards also talking about inflation. Did they basically make a strategic error by focusing? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think they way overestimated how important that was to people. And I think they, they made an error. I mean, and part of it is, I mean, like it's, it's maybe understandable because it's hard to talk about inflation when you're the party in power. It's hard to talk about inflation, you know, when you have the presidency, right. And, and you sort of, we sort of expect the president to be the one who does something about that. Um, So you know, do you want to have that conversation? I don't know. Maybe it's better to talk about something else. But the problem is then you seem tone deaf because you're not talking about the thing people actually care about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the focus on abortion was like we can more easily make a good sort of a good there's better things for us to say here than on inflation, right? Because we can't even bring up inflation without um, pointing out the fact that inflation is here and it's crushing everyone. Um, So abortion was something that they could sort of 
put a more positive spin on, especially when right. a lot of Republicans initially yep. were taking the most yep. extreme positions, mm-hmm. right? Or at least the loudest mm-hmm. ones were taking the most extreme positions. I think if uh, Democrats were smart, they would have earlier in this year started talking about healthcare more and running on that. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. using, yep. um, and then and then enfolding abortion into that healthcare sort of messaging. Right. Um, right. If it turned out to be, they've been trying to do that in the past two weeks, but it's, it's way too late for that. Um, yeah. So I think that would have been good for them, but that's not something they've really done. So, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I want to talk just a minute about math and how, oh, no. we, <laughs> um, how we interpret what we know so far. Mm. Now there are people who are already voting. However, we should be very cautious, and I'm saying we, I'm talking to you, good listeners, from any study that attempts to project an election based upon the people who have already voted. Why? Because people who have already voted by uh, early voting mechanisms tend to not represent voters in general. <laughs> um So any kind of vote that tries to track who's already voted and exit polling there is not going to be re- uh, revealing any kind of way. So avoid false hope and avoid false despondency by looking at that. What's better to look at overall is polling data. But I, here I want to look to Dr. Kukum and say in 2016 and in 2020, there were polling errors. They weren't enormous polling errors, but there were systematic polling errors that seemed to bias against Republicans. So Republicans showed up and voted better in both of those elections than the polling would have indicated. Do you think that's likely again in 2022? It's hard to say. Um, Historically, you can't use the most recent, um, you can't use past errors to predict the prediction, uh, the direction of future polling errors, right? Spoken like my first year in grad school stats instructor. Yeah, exactly. Right. So just because... The coin has, you know, landed, um, you know, twice on heads doesn't mean the next time it's going to land on head, right? It, it right. Has, these these right. are things are not are not strictly speaking related. Um, there have been times historically in which um, Republicans um, were overrepresented. Um, more recently, they're underrepresented. There are uh, lots of sort of demographic, educational, other sorts of cultural shifts for this. Mm-hmm pollsters are trying to make adjustments and actually have been making Mm -hmm. adjustments. There is actually a much greater sort of mix of polling methods this time around. Um, The use of various sophisticated online polling or um, text message polling Mm -hmm. um, comparing to verified voters. So this isn't just random online polls. Like these are highly sophisticated sort of mechanisms for trying to get to voters who, who won't answer the phones. Right. Um, And even then there's some real difficulties and it's going to take a while to sort out um, exactly how well the polls did. Um, Pollsters are trying. um, And there's some indication that, you know, Republicans are less responsive than Democrats um, to -hmm. these polls. And that's something that pollsters are trying to correct for um, both with their methods on the front end on how they gather this, this data, but also in how they, um, how they, arrange that data and how they go about weighting the different populations. So we'll see. Um, it's too early to tell, um, but it'll it'll take a few months to sort that out in the end. So it's possible, um, but I wouldn't, don't bake in an assumption um, whenever you're looking at polls right now, don't bake an assumption into 
how you're reading the polls about which way the polls are going to go. Right. Right. Um, Did you hear that Carl Rove? Either direction. Stop on stop on skewing the polls. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it. You know, I was just reading something yesterday or today on 538 where they were saying basically exactly what you said, Matt, which is, you know, the, the reality is, I mean, pollsters are also like, they also observe, right. They observe the reality of what happened before they try to adjust for it. And they're always trying to, you know, to figure out kind of how do we, how do we strike that balance so that we're getting a, a, you know, a representation of the population that really does look like the population. It is not a perfect science, right. They're always trying to estimate human behavior. They're trying to figure out like, what, what does this electorate look like? Um, so they are trying to compensate. So when they miss, as they did somewhat in 2020, they're trying to compensate the other way. Could they fail to compensate enough? Absolutely. Could they overcompensate? Absolutely. And the problem is we just don't know. Sometimes they nail it really beautifully. Um, and sometimes they just don't. Right. And it is, it is that, you know, there's a little bit of guesswork in there, um, to try to figure out like what, what is the voting population that's actually going to determine sort of the elections going to look like, um, they can never be quite sure. Okay, let me yeah. throw one more thing on top of that, which is it's going to sound a little contradictory, um, and I'll try and explain this without getting into the math itself. But in every one of these polls that's given on any given Senate race, House race, et cetera, et cetera, and by the way, Senate races are polled way better than House races, and national oh, yeah. national attitudes are polled way better than than individual states. There's a margin of error. You probably heard that term right. before, which basically means we we asked a thousand people, and that gives us confidence with that our our results are representative of the U.S. nation within three percentage points. Which means we could be off by as much as three percentage points, and we'd still be okay with this. Um, now, that's true of all these polls. So as you aggregate these polls, that remains true. So what really we're saying. Here, listeners, please understand, is that within the range of possibility, uh, within a reasonable standard of error, is that Democrats come out of the Senate holding 52 seats, which would be more than they have right now. It's entirely reasonable that Republicans could have 54 seats. Uh, those are both outcomes within within the margin of right. error. Right. However, resist the temptation to assume that those errors cancel each other out. And what we'll end up with is something exactly between 54 seats for Republicans and 52 seats for Democrats. That might be the modal outcome, but what's more likely is that these error terms for different races are correlated with each other. And what that means is it's more likely that these errors kind of systematically move the bar towards Republicans or towards Democrats. So it's unlikely we end up with all those errors kind of canceling each other out, and we end up with 51 Republicans and 49 Democrats, which is would be the average right now. We're probably going to get something other than that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of these, a lot of the, especially these Senate races, I mean, they're about national level politics, right? Um, yep. I mean, yep. you know, your governor's races are going to be a little different, perhaps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're responding yeah. more to state issues um, right. and not. You know, mm-hmm. not just national issues, but Senate is all about it's all about the national issues and um, and sort of American electorate as a whole um, is, you know, yeah. um, is going to be moved partly by national issues. And I'll say this as well. Um, I mean, sort of we want polls to create um, to give us certainty that they aren't actually able to provide. Right. Um, and so if if a poll. Um, so, yeah, if if the polls are systematically underrepresenting um you know, Republicans, um, by, Mm -hmm. you know, two to three points, um, that's not, 
statistically speaking, weird, right? No, nope. because <laughs> it's within the margin of error, right? Now, right. now, if it's beyond the margin of error, that's when you really have to start asking questions. But, um, or if you have consistent polling errors that always undercount Republicans across multiple election cycles, um, then that's something to be concerned about. But um, you can't expect polls to give you the sort of certainty that you want and to be dialed in perfectly, right? Because as Andy pointed out, um, this is partly an art, not strictly a speaking a science, right? right. Um, in a sense, polling, I mean, we want to use polls to predict, but you actually have to do some predicting to do polling. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so, true. and right. that's something that we oftentimes forget. Right. Right. I mean, you think about one of the biggest, like, so-called misses, right, was in 2016 with Trump's win, right? Mm-hmm. And in one sense, it was a miss. I mean, like, people thought, oh, Hillary Clinton's likely to win, right? But when you looked at the best versions of the numbers, it really wasn't a miss, right? I mean, they actually called it pretty closely. What they didn't anticipate was the exact distribution of the vote. But when you look at like places they missed, I mean, like Wisconsin, I think was kind of outside the margin of error. They really yes. messed up Wisconsin. That was a bad one. But everything else was pretty much there within the margin of error. Hillary Clinton actually did win the popular vote, um, but Trump distributed the votes in a way that, you know, his votes were distributed in a way that allowed him to cross the finish line. And you know, when you looked at the the 538 analysis going in, they said, you know, there's about a 71% chance that Hillary Clinton will be elected president, which means there's about a 29% chance she won't. Um, and again, if you, you win the popular vote by over 2%, we'd expect most of the time you would, in fact, win the presidency. Um, but in this case, Hillary did not get the votes distributed the way she needed to. And she was in that, that you know, <laughs> that 28% that did not, in fact, win the presidency, right? So it's that kind of thing. I mean, like, I think people just say, like, oh, because it looks like it's going this way, therefore it is going this way. And it's like, no, that's the more probable outcome. It is not the certain outcome. Like 71% is not 100%. <laughs> Right. And that's, that's so hard for most Americans, yeah. for me, yes. to be frank, yeah. Yeah. to yeah. think through. You of tend course. to see, uh, yep. for example, uh, in the Senate election forecast on 538 right now, they've got Adam Laxalt uh, beating Catherine Cortez Mastow 59 out of 100 times. That's nearly yeah. a dead heat. When I hear 59 to 41, I think, well, that's a pretty decent win in a, in a, in a yeah. high school basketball yeah. game. Right. Um, right. But that's not what this is. 41% yep. yeah. of the time. Uh, Masto wins that race, and that's almost almost a coin flip. Yeah, yep. we we stink at thinking yep. about probabilities. Our brains yeah, just yeah. aren't wired to handle it, right? So, so it's always helpful to think about um, other sort of other situations in which you think about probabilities. Like mm-hmm. if there's a ten percent chance you get in a um, severe car crash on any given day, you're like, whoa, that is seriously high, right? Yep. Um, so always think about um, other situations in which you can sort of import a probability to, to kind of maybe realign, realign your expectations. Well, speaking of car crashes, let's talk about a couple of these races. Okay. Nice. You're welcome. Um, I'll throw a few darts here at the, uh, at the, at the Senate map. And you tell me um, what you think is going on here. So let's start with the biggest, shiniest, um, uh, SEC football team. That's right. The Georgia Bulldogs. Oh, I, I wish we were talking about um, college football. Let's talk uh, about the Georgia. Let's, Senate. let's talk about the Georgia yeah. Senate instead. Herschel Walker, college football star himself, uh, versus uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock. Guys, what's going to happen here? Well, <laughs> if I knew. <laughs> I would be making really good money somewhere else. Um, okay, fine. Yeah, Let me, but, um, but okay. So it's 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 very close, right? So Warnock is a very liberal, progressive, uh, Democrat incumbent, right? Yep. Barely won um, the special election two years ago, right? Um, 
Herschel Walker is the Republic, Republican challenger who, if you've been following sort of political news at all, you know, he has an enormous amount of personal baggage. Um, he has some problems being articulate on the campaign yep. trail. And there's a lot of scandals that are surrounding him. Um, and he's taken yep. some, some pretty extreme positions on some things. So he has a lot of baggage. Um, yep. If this were just a generic, um, you know, generic Republican that you sort of pull off the shelf, right. Um, and just plop in there, that person would almost certainly win, um, in a state yep. that is yep. quite Republican still and in an election cycle that favors Republicans. Um, yes. yep. Herschel Walker could win, but Raphael Warnock could win, really could mm-hmm. go either way. What I think is interesting to note, um, is that the Republican governor, Brian Kemp, is quite popular and he is going to significantly outperform um, um, Herschel Walker. Um, So this is going to be a case, I think, in which you see um, potentially some split ticket voting or just some undervoting. Some people, Republicans, Mm -hmm. perfectly happy to come out and support Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, but deciding um, they can't quite hold their nose, perhaps, and vote for Herschel Walker. So you will probably see okay. some undervoting and potentially some split ticket voting as well. In this and race. The, and Dr. the other thing we should add in is that you do have a runoff in Georgia. So it's entirely possible exactly. that some people will say, at least in the in round one, I'm going to cast a third party vote. I'm going to see if we keep yep. it from majority. And then some of those people may Maybe they just they stay home round two. Maybe they come out and say, you know what? Now I'll hold my nose and vote for Walker, yeah. or or the other way around. Maybe they'll say, you know, I vote for Warnock. So I mean, like that's definitely a race that you could get two rounds yeah. with. That's what yeah. happened last time in Georgia. It would not be surprising to yeah. see that happen again. Yeah. Before we get to Chris's point, I do want to point out. I I think it's pretty like I mean, quite likely that we could go to a runoff. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, I don't know if Warnock or either one is going to crack 50%, right? In which case, because there is a libertarian challenger, uh, Chase Oliver, um, and he's been hovering between like one to five percentage points. (laughs) And it doesn't take much, right, um, right. for him to be a spoiler, right? So, and if we do go to a runoff, um, it's more likely than not that Herschel Walker would win because Georgia is more Republican than Democrat. The fundamentals are stronger for Republicans this cycle than the previous election cycle. And um, unlike last election cycle, you don't have Republican leaders in Georgia discouraging Republicans from going out to vote because they're saying it's all written. Right. And actually, Republicans in Georgia have been putting in a lot of effort at mobilizing their voters. So I think if we go to a runoff, um, I think Walker wins. Um, So let let me I actually want to argue with you about that because of something you just said a few moments ago which is there's a couple of related phenomena about what happens when multiple people are on the ticket at the same time. Brian Kemp is doing great against uh, Stacey Abrams and is clearly favored to win in the governor's race. And people in Georgia seem to be generally pretty happy with Kemp as their governor. You would think that there's a coattail effect that the um, people who showed up to vote for Kemp said, well, while I'm here, I don't love uh, Herschel Walker, but he is the Republican and I'm voting for Kemp. So I'm just going to vote for him while I'm here. I wouldn't go out of my way to vote for Herschel Walker. In fact, if it was just him, I'd stay home. Right. So if it goes to a runoff, those same people who voted for Kemp now have to ask themselves, do I want to go out and vote again just for Herschel Walker, this person I was already kind of uncomfortable with? Right. Maybe those coattails start to abandon Walker a little bit. Yep. On the other hand, you also mentioned that, um, 
there's split the potential for split ticket voting or the potential that people just leave the Senate blank. They don't want to vote for Raphael Warnock, but they're not willing to vote for Herschel yeah. Walker. So they vote for the governor and they go home. How do these various uh, objectively true human behaviors stack yeah. up in terms of magnitude? Well, yeah, you, you totally put your finger on it. We don't know, right? Um, and we, we don't know who who's going to sort of uh, you know, not, you know, vote for Kemp, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. vote for Walker, right? Um, that That's going to be some set of the population. And we just don't know if it's going to be big enough to prevent um, Walker from getting a majority, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I mean, Kemp is a particularly strong candidate and people really don't like Stacey, Republicans really don't like Stacey Abrams, right? So they're going to be fired yep. up to vote for him. Yep. Um, and that might be enough, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That might be enough to pull Herschel Walker over. So, yeah. Now, the, I'll throw in one more thing that it's a funny one with the runoff, right? Which is if you go to a runoff, um, it matters too, like what's at stake in that runoff. In other words, do Republicans already have a majority? Um, does the majority for somebody rest on the runoff, which is, of course, what happened last year, which yep. creates a lot more motivation. And, I, and again, I don't know which way that goes. I mean, mm-hmm. do, do Democrats feel depressed because they've lost the majority? That's probably the most likely scenario if we go to a runoff and therefore they don't care enough to come out and vote for Warnock. Or is it the other way? Republicans are like, eh, I really don't like Walker that much. We don't actually need him for the Senate majority. Right. Maybe I'm just not gonna, I'm gonna find something better to do um, as we you know enter into December, right? So it's a tricky, it's really tricky yep. to predict like what does that do psychologically? But if it if it depresses or motivates turnout in one of those groups, then that can matter as well. So yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of weird factors with Georgia. Yeah, I I thought about that too. And I think you know, if if Republicans end up winning the Senate outright without Georgia. And Georgia goes to runoff. I think there's enough Republicans who who say like the only reason we care about voting Herschel Walker is because he's basically a vote bot for the Republicans, right? That's the only reason, right? Um, and if he's not needed, then I think there's plenty of like, eh, then who cares? Um, and there'll be some Democrats who are like, but we really hate this guy and he's like incompetent and we don't want him representing us. So, um, so yeah, I think yeah, if Georgia right. does go yeah. to a runoff. Um, the best scenario in which um, Warnock wins is if Republicans actually take back the Senate. So, yeah, we'll see. Be. We'll see. Let's, let's let's swing north. Yep, and uh, dip into Pennsylvania, a spicy race because uh, we've got some celebrity status <laughs> here. Doctor Oz, uh, a, a TV doctor. Um, he's sorry, kind of, he's a real doctor too, right? I mean, like is. Is he like, I'm not sure he's very good, but like, I don't know. Like, I think he has some, like, I don't think he just calls. He, he's, he just not calls like, he's not Dr. like Dr. Phil, who in fact is not a doctor <laughs> and no one should pay attention to that guy ever. But um, oh. I, I think he does have, at some point he did have a medical license. I'm not sure if he still has a medical license. <laughs> yeah. That's um, a different question, but he is running against. He has an MD. Of- thank you. A uh, Google an MD from, uh, from Penn. So. Okay. Oh, well, wow. In state and everything. In state, which is important. Um, And uh, he's running against uh, the current uh, lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, uh, a man who is recovering from a stroke, John Fetterman. Um, And uh, boy, this has been a weird race, hasn't it? Oh, my word. Yeah. You have two candidates who are very weak for very different reasons. Um, Yes. And this race really could go either way. Yeah. it's interesting to note that um, that Josh Shapiro, the Democrat gubernatorial candidate, 
he is quite likely to win his race against yeah. Doug Mastriano, who is the Republican candidate, who is quite extreme and also just really not out there campaigning all that much. Um, so mm-hmm. this might be a case in which um, a Democrat would have a solid win of the governor's seat. Um, but your Republican sort of race is going to be more of a toss up or excuse me, your Senate race is going to be more of a toss up. Right. So, again, yeah, more potential um, like undervoting split ticket voting going on in this race potentially yeah it's a it's a really hard it's a it's a hard call what, what goes on here because i mean like there's there's some things that suggest that pennsylvania actually might be favorable to the democrats early on i certainly mm-hmm. thought you know mm-hmm. fetterman looked like a reasonably good candidate oz fetterman's lead like, was you know, huge he was huge and oz was you know kind of carpet bagging from new jersey uh, yep. which is not great when you're in pennsylvania but you know, Oz has come on stronger. Fetterman, because of the stroke in part, has looked weak. He's been unable to be out there. I'm not sure that the, the debate certainly didn't help him. I no. think the polls are mixed on whether it hurt him, but it sure didn't help him. Um, and it's not, I mean, like, you know, it's not an illegitimate question of, you know, is has the stroke affected him to the point where, like, maybe this is not the thing he should be doing right now, right? Um, that's not an unfair calculus for the people of Pennsylvania to kind of make, to say, like, do we want a senator who's able to go all in or not and maybe fetterman's not that guy um so i think you know you're having those those kind of conversations and that's helping us and that's understandable mm-hmm. all right let's swing out to the american southwest uh what you want to do first nevada or arizona we're gonna do both <laughs> do the boring one or the spicy one first that's spicy okay all right so that's arizona clearly um oh yeah yeah so um so in arizona Mark Kelly is the Democrat incumbent, the senator, um, one of the senators from Arizona, and he is running against Blake Masters. Um, Mm -hmm. A few weeks ago, I said that Kelly is most, you know, very likely to win. Now it's it's much closer. And Blake Masters um, has actually been able to sort of close that gap um, with Mark Kelly. Um, Carrie Lake is the Republican candidate for governor. Um, and she is ahead of Lake Masters. She's um, she's um, a basically a longtime sort of TV personality, um, very good on on television. Has had some fairly extreme positions, not quite as much as Lake Masters, but she's a much better campaigner. She's much smoother. She is likely to win. There is a possibility you might have a bit of a coattails effect here, um, in which people who turn out to support Carrie Lake might end up voting for Blake Masters along the way and defeating Mark Kelly. On the other hand, Mark Kelly has been a pretty savvy senator. He has sort of moderated his positions over the years um, to fit sort of the Arizona electorate. He's pretty good on the campaign trail. So so we'll see what happens. Um, You might say that Senator Kelly has a very slight edge, um, but it's not um, out of the realm of possibility of Blake Masters sort of pulling off a, a victory here. Yeah, I mean, when you look at why why the you know we, we've gone from a, a, a five thirty eight prediction of you know the Democrats are very likely to keep the Senate or quite likely to it's really a coin flip. I mean, I, I do think the two states we've just talked about are really at the core of that. I mean, Pennsylvania and Arizona feel like you know they've gone from states the Democrats felt pretty confident about mm-hmm. to states they feel really nervous about. And that's probably where it just is decided is those two. I mean, Georgia matters, and so does the next state we're about to talk about, but. But I think those two are really, really big because those felt like ones where like, you know, a couple of months ago, I thought, yeah, like, yeah, Fetterman and Kelly, and maybe they still will, but, mm-hmm. but it, it, it feels like it could go, could go either way now. Yeah. 
let me ask one more quick question about this race. And this seems like they're the right time to bring this up, although it might be true in some of our other races as well. Mm-hmm. Both Kerry Lake for governor and Blake Masters for the Senate um, have explicitly denied that Joe Biden won the 2020 yep. election fair and square. Yep. Yeah. Um, is that just a, a now a policy position within the Republican Party or does that have meaningful electoral effect? Well, one thing to keep in mind is that, I mean, of course, you have you know, the Republican Party as a whole across the country, Democratic Party as a whole across the country. But um, every state has its own essentially state Republican Party, right, um, or state Democratic Party. And it, it, ha- it has its own sort of internal um, sort of dynamics and its own organization. Right. Um, the Republican Party of the state of Arizona has um, been particularly extreme, um, and a lot of those activists, those people involved in the organization, have been um, very heavy into sort of the election uh, denial um, stuff, yeah. and more so than even a lot of the other very Republican mm-hmm. states, um, like Texas, for example, which is very Republican, um, but the Republican Party would say Texas isn't nearly into the election denialism the way that Republican Party of the state of Arizona is. So um, so I think Arizona is, is it's not unique in that way, but that's something to keep in mind. And um, and depending on, you know, which way things go, if, if it turns out that Kerry Lake and the Republican uh, Secretary of State candidate blanking on his name, but the Secretary of State runs elections, I, this could have potentially some implications for um, the 2024 20, uh, presidential election and the counting of electoral votes. Um, and we will see if states like Arizona, if Arizona goes towards the Democratic side in the presidential election, will try to find ways to um, sort of decertify the Democratic electors and put up perhaps an alternative slate of electors, um, even if Democrats um, in Arizona really turn out to vote. So but we'll see what happens. It could matter. Um, Arizona is a particular mess in this regard, I would say. All right, let's swing up to Nevada. So Nevada is interesting. This was another state that Democrats sort of thought they had a lock on, um, mm-hmm. but it's become competitive in the past couple months. And um, it looks like um, Adam Laxalt, um, the Republican challenger uh, against Catherine Cortez Masto is, is um, oh, it's a toss up, but um, it now looks like he could win, right? That's not... Um, the improbable scenario that it once was. So he is now slightly favored. Mm-hmm. Um, Nevada politics is kind of weird. Um, Nevada is a poorer state on the whole. It's mm-hmm. very much driven by the hospitality industry, especially mm-hmm. sort of in Las Vegas, which kind of is the state's economy, essentially. Um, and Nevada has really suffered um, in the past couple of years um, in the wake of the pandemic and sort of the economic mm-hmm. disruption. And Catherine Cortez Masto has focused less on sort of uh, her constituents in Nevada and more on national level issues. And I think that's coming back to bite her uh, between her sort of her own sort of personal style, her own senatorial style and the fundamentals. I think that's um, going to potentially bite her. Um, but but we'll we'll have to see what happens. Um, this is truly another toss up race. Yeah. And I, and I would just throw one more thing in there with Nevada, which is that it has been in the past uh, a particularly difficult state to poll well. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, there's some confounding factors there um, that have made it really, really hard. So I'm, mm, yep. 
I will, I would say like my, my skepticism about um, kind of the polling in Nevada is a little higher, especially polling that tends to favor Republicans because it, it feels like Nevada is one of the ones where often it goes a little bit more the other way where like it'll look like Republicans are doing better than they actually end up doing on the day of. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably pretty close to a pure toss up of all these um, and turnout's going to matter. I mean, obviously, so we'll, we'll see. It's just, it's, that one feels very like, it, it does look like if you look at 538's calculus, you know, Laxalt's doing better right now. And that may be in fact what happens, but definitely like come back to Chris's point about 5941 doesn't mean it's a 5941 gap. It means it's pretty close to a pure toss up and it really could go either way. So this is one of those, like, keep an eye and we'll see if the Senate comes down to, it may, it may come down to these two States we've just talked about. I mean, as we, you know, we'll, we'll hear about Pennsylvania, we'll hear about Georgia, or at least the preliminary results in Georgia earlier. Um, so we might be waiting on those Western States to know who's, you know, whether Mitch McConnell or Chuck Schumer is the Senate majority leader. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not Mitch McConnell. Some of the Republicans don't like him. We'll see what happens with that. Ooh, um, you really think that's a possibility? No, not really. Because I, I, I don't know. Because the problem is you, you can not like Mitch McConnell, but who you got to choose somebody. And I think that Mitch McConnell can get the number he needs. It doesn't need, he doesn't need, it's not like being Speaker of the House where you have to get a majority of the House or a majority of the Senate. You just have to get a majority of the Republican caucus. I think he's got that locked down. I think so, so too. So I would be shocked if he got dislodged. Mitch McConnell is a very cunning man. Whatever else, whatever else we can say about him, he's not a good speaker, but he's cunning. <laughs> he was my All senator right. for a while. I lived in Kentucky. Um, you know what I learned about Kentucky this uh, from listening to Five Thirty Eight this last week? I don't know. But tell Kentucky us. leads the country in. Oh no! Wait for it! Wait <laughs> for it! Number of chain restaurants both in terms of overall number of chains and chain restaurants per person. I've heard this actually somewhere else. And I think this has been true for some time, actually. Like, I wonder, is that like, is that true once you take KFC out of there? (laughs) (laughs) Is that like a KFC effect? Like they have this like contractual obligation to have a certain number of KFCs. I, that's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that. Like this, like this, like outline variable or something. Uh, um, would you like to? Would you like to guess which states have the least uh, number of chain restaurants? Alaska. That's a, they're in the top five. Yeah, Hawaii. Um. Ooh, I don't know. The others were. Um, you don't have this other, list in front of you. Uh, I'm, I'm just going from my memory of the podcast. Okay. Um, you get you get some uh, states in the Pacific. Um, Maine, thank you, Sam, who's listening in. Maine's a top five, uh, but number one is Vermont. Uh, yeah. Okay, I, I kind of wish New Hampshire was number one. Actually, live free or die, like and exactly. free of like chain restaurants. But <laughs> exactly, I should really make that a goal. Plus, if Vermont's number one, they want to beat them. You know they do. Oh, absolutely, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay, guys, real quick, I, there was one more thing that Matt you put in our outline for today that I think is a really intriguing note, and I would like you to talk about this a little bit. Let's say that um, rep- things go the way that Republicans uh, and uh, hope they will go, and Republicans get, let's say, 53, uh, 52, 53 seats in the Senate and a nice, comfortable 20-seat advantage in the House. They tie up uh, Joe Biden, probably with impeachment proceedings, because it seems like that's what we do now, is we impeach the president whenever the other party controls Congress. Um, but then also just with investigations and nothing happens legislatively for the next two years. But then what happens two years hence in congressional elections in 2024? 
what happens is likely the expansion of the Republican Senate majority. Mm-hmm. What we so of course because the Senate um, is on this sort of three election cycle, such that only right. one third of the right. Senate is up for re-election every two years. Basically, we have an interesting sort of collection and slightly different uh, collection of states every two mm-hmm. years. Um, and so the next election cycle is very favorable for Republicans. There are a number of states um, that are currently held by Democrats in which the state is either sort of purple or red, right? right. Um, states that provide very good pickup opportunities for Republicans. And so there is a chance that Republicans, if they have a really good year in a couple of years, and if they have a good night this Tuesday, we could be looking at a filibuster-proof Republican majority. So that means Republicans getting at least 60 Senate seats. Um, And that would have all sorts of interesting implications, especially if a, a Republican president won. Um, so obviously we're not even, uh, to midterms yet, and we're already talking about sort of the next election cycle. Um, but that's something that, um, that we should keep an eye on. Well, I am, I will just note, um, and I, I know you were, uh, you, you expert, you, uh, demonstrate some real humility in that prediction, but things always, become more complicated when we put probabilistic chances on top of probabilistic chances. And if you recall, we were saying uh, back in 2020 that the 2022 election cycle set up well for Democrats. Um, And that's true, but we weren't anticipating the the worst inflation in 40 years. We weren't anticipating some of the other, um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade and, and, and other kinds of issues at that point. So we don't know what we don't know yet. Um, right. And so I think you're right. I think it's true that the, the numbers stack up very favorably for Republicans in two years. Yep. And there's a lot of c- contravening factors we haven't encountered yep. yet. Yep. yep. That's true. Yep. So uh, how do you guys think it's all going to go down? How's it going to shake out? Oh, he's going to make us actually predict, isn't he? I mean, we, yeah, I didn't, you know, ask you guys to predict particular states. Like we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> but do you guys have um, sort of a, I mean, I'm assuming we all think Republicans are going to take back the House of Representatives, right? right. I think that's a safe bet. Okay. Yeah, Something right. weird would have to happen with a systematic yeah. polling bias for that not to be the case. I would think so. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I'll just like add here, like that's a complication for Republicans because being in the minority is easy, right? You yep. can just sit over there and carp, right? But then you have to organize and they have to, they have to try to elect a speaker of the House and they've had a very unruly House caucus. So maybe Kevin McCarthy's got all his people in a row now, but that's complicated, and especially if it's not a big majority. Like, let's say they're sitting at like two twenty-five, right? And McCarthy can only lose like eight voters, right? In the in the House, um, it, it could get a little complicated. So yeah. we'll we'll see what happens. But yes, I do think the Republicans are going to take it, and then we'll see if they're if they like being in the majority, which is a different question. Um, yeah, I mean, if I mean if I mean, in some ways, the Republicans in the House are sort of off the hook, right? Because, um, you know, Biden's still in the White House, right? Correct. He's going to veto stuff. And then, yep. Um, yep. you know, and then if Democrats still maintain, you know, control of the Senate, right? Or Republicans, you know, even Republicans take it back by one, right? And, you know, they yep. can say like, well, there's these moderate Republicans, that, you know, they're, yep. they're rhinos. And so right. they can sort of still kind of play the minority party, yep. um, even if oh, they yeah, have, sure. you know, majority of the House. But 
Um, well, they I, can, I, but, I it, but it looks bad when they're completely dysfunctional, yes. right? Yeah. And that, that's the problem. Like, and they've done that in the past where they've they've gotten in yep. there and they can't keep the caucus in order. I mean, whatever else you can say about Nancy Pelosi, like she's been pretty good about getting her Democratic caucus in order. Um, Republican leaders have struggled in recent years. That was a real struggle um, for why can't I think of his name? John Boehner. Um, you know, John Boehner uh, was yeah. a struggle for Paul Ryan a bit. I mean, this is why Kevin McCarthy wasn't chosen as speaker because they not enough people backed him. That's why they had to go to Ryan. Um, so we'll see if second time around is the charm for McCarthy. Mm-hmm. I'm, c- can I make one out of the blue house prediction? Sure. Yeah. Thank you. This the is host. for my this is for my dad, Dave Moore, who's probably listening to this podcast at some point. <laughs> yeah, and uh this is um there's a uh because of redistricting, uh my dad for the first time in probably 40 years is sitting in a congressional district controlled by a Democrat, Marcy Captors. Uh Toledo area district has been expanded westward to encompass northwest Ohio. She's up against Jared Majewski who himself is notable because he attended uh, the January 6th protests that led to the insurrection. Um, And so this is a sort of a very traditional Democrat, a longtime Democrat uh, against a, a Trumpy Republican captor led by five points back in a poll in June. And that was the last time a poll was taken of this race that I'm aware of. So, I'm going to say Jared Majewski is going to make up those five points and he will defeat Marcy Captor in uh, Northwest Ohio. Okay. There, there you go, Dad. You heard it here first. <laughs> nice. I will say if I had to make a prediction, I would say Republicans win back in the majority. Um, yeah. 51 or 52 um, is, yeah. is my bet. Um that's not to say I would be shocked if if Democrats um, had 50 or 51 seats. That's totally within the realm of possibility. It's not a crazy scenario that we are still at a 50-50 Senate in which Kamala Harris mm-hmm. provides a tie-breaking vote and Joe Manchin continues to reign as King of America. Um, <laughs> but we, 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 we will see what happens. Um, if I had to bet, you know, my 20 bucks or whatever, um, I would I would say, yeah, uh, Mitch McConnell will become the longest serving uh Senate majority leader in U.S. history, but we shall see. And here I'm required to say that Bethel University does not endorse gambling. No, yes, we thank don't. you. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for clarifying that. Oof, that was tight. I mean, the other race we didn't talk about that could come into play even is because it's gotten a little hotter recently is New Hampshire. Um, and so I'll be watching New Hampshire early too, just to see like if, if New Hampshire goes Republican, I think it ends yeah. up being a very good That's night true. for the Senate Republicans. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one a few weeks ago, again, looked like pretty close to in the tank for the Democrats. And now I would say it's still likely that Maggie Hassan pulls out her reelection, but I would not, you know, I, I don't bet because I do work at Bethel, but I would not want to bet money on that one um, yeah. because I think that that's, you know, it's, it's trending a little bit more the other way. It seems like um, whether it trends far enough, um, we'll see. But I would, you know, I think that you know, the scenarios you outlined, Matt, are probably the most likely. I would not be shocked to see Republicans at 53 or 54 seats. Um, True. Yeah. So. Yeah. And to your point about New Hampshire, um, you know, if you um, if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, like some <laughs> of us are, and you you watch election returns because it's kind of like the biggest sort That's of sporting fun, event man. that happens every two years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do this. Um, you know, uh, you know, keep an eye on New Hampshire and Pennsylvania and Georgia. We'll get their returns before we yep. 
um, yep. before we push into like obviously Arizona and Nevada and th- these yep. other races, right? So yep. um, keep an eye on those. And if it looks like Republicans are doing really nicely in those states, then um, then that suggests it doesn't promise, but it suggests that Republicans would do better in some of those other races as well. Because right. as Chris pointed out, um, in some sense, these Senate races are are national races. They're about yep. national issues, um, yep. and these all these races all kind of hang together in some sense, even if and move a certain direction together, even if they don't do it at a similar rate. There is some degree of correlation here. Um, local politics matters, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it matters a little bit less in these Senate races than in these governor's races, perhaps. Before we wrap, can I make my prediction here too? Yeah, yes, please. Um, I think I think we're going to have our first Republican elected statewide in Minnesota for the first time since 2006. Oh, we got um, so. Oh, yeah. I, I think Keith Ellison's going down. That's I'm going to go with going. that. Yeah. Um, there, there are a couple others that could go that way, but I think I think Jim Schultz is going to do this at Attorney General. I think Ellison's had enough problems. I think there's enough discomfort with him. He ran behind the ticket last time. The polling doesn't look good for him. This looks like a tight one. I think most of the other Democrats will probably pull it out, but I don't think Ellison's going to. So that would be the first time since Tim Pawlenty won his re-election campaign in 2006 that Minnesota's gone Republican for anybody at the state level. Yeah. And in 20 years, we might have all uh, Republicans at the state level. So, wow. You see, you see a trend line here. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's actually been some discussion about him. Minnesota is inching, um, inching towards uh, becoming more Republican. Right. Yeah. I think there, there are some ways in which it is. I will say, I don't think our 2024 Senate race will be one of the competitive ones because Amy Klobuchar is back on the ballot and we love Amy here. So yes, I, I don't think that would be a shocker if Amy got seriously challenged. Yeah, she is prob- Minnesota nice. So. She is, she is us. And, you know, like, I think we send up another sacrificial lamb against her. <laughs> oh, the Republicans. Yeah. yeah. We send up some like character who's like, well, you know, you want to run for Senate. So this will be your turn and you can take a nice beating. <laughs> yeah. Could be a repeat sacrificial lamb for that matter. It, it could be. We they, do have those sacrificial lambs are just willing to keep going right back for more punishment. So, yep. And on that note, <laughs> Chris, you haven't made uh, your. Oh, he did. He, he has got a hot take in Ohio. I mean, your overall Senate. Oh, you want something bigger than that? You, you want overall Senate? Yes. This is. This is um, based are you on just going to take the over the under on this just to be cantankerous? No, ba- based on everything we've talked about. If the numbers break, I think they break towards Republicans, both because of the electoral shift momentum and the likely undersampling of Republicans. Um, I don't think we've solved that polling error problem. I think Republicans control 54 Senate seats. Okay. Um, which is, which would be at the, at the edge of what's kind of expected, like close to a landslide. And I think they probably get like somewhere in the range of 25 to 30 house seats. And that's like the yeah best case scenario within normal polling error, right? That would not be outside that, but it would be at the the edge of that. Yeah, and I think that does. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, and I would almost you know under sort of normal circumstances, I would definitely be under there on the fifty four. It's just some of the candidate quality issues. Yep. um, That you know that are really sort of um, holding me back on that. Right in Pennsylvania, um, Georgia, um, and Arizona primarily yep. but Agreed. but um partisanship and fundamentals might might swamp all of that so we look back to where we started yes <laughs> and there we are
Mm-hmm. Guys, I need to sign off and to get ready for my night class. So, oh yeah. Um, thanks for listening to us, everybody. Uh, we'll be back in your feed sometime soon, probably to recap these elections we just talked about. Uh, you can always follow this channel at uh, Channel Thirty Nine Hundred. You can reach out to the channel at channel 300 at gmail.com. Make sure you listen to the other stuff on the, on the channel too, right? A lot of great stuff on there. Um, Sam, do you want to give a pitch for um, Navy Gold, Navy Vegas or um, stay, uh, uh, stay gold or. Um, sure. I'll, 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 I'll hop in here and do a pitch. So the Navy Vegas podcast is actually not officially part of the channel 3900 podcast <laughs> network, but it is a great Bethel and Mayak football podcast. And I'm not saying that uh, because my son is the uh, the creator and the host. Um, I I'm actually I was every week I listen to it. I'm sort of shocked how good it is. Um, he's 17 years old and does a really good job of researching and breaking down Mayak football. So give that a listen. The Navy Vegas podcast available anywhere you get podcasts on the 3900 Podcast Network. If you in middle school read The Outsiders by Essie Hinton, we, my daughter and I are doing a 23 episode. Um, breakdown of the the Francis Ford Coppola film and the S.E. Hinton book, The Outsiders. We do it five minutes at a time. It is a great podcast, and you should give it a listen. I love that so much. Nice. Cool. Thanks for listening. You can always reach out to our podcast at um, electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. We'd love to take your questions. Uh, we'll be back in your feed real soon with some post-election analysis. But until you hear from us again, thank you for listening, and go Royals. And go vote. Go vote.